You know, at men's Bible study last week, I said I wasn't going to start off with a history lesson. Well, I lied. <laughs> I know I've been doing that a lot lately, but there's just something about this that, uh, uh, that gets me going there. So please indulge me just for a minute. It's not going to be too long, I promise. 1933, German national pride was rising. On the tide of Reichstag elections, German President Paul von Hindenburg had appointed 44-year-old Adolf Hitler as chancellor. Many were hailing him as a sort of secular messiah, even many in the church, a new leader who would guide Germany out of past humiliations into a glorious tomorrow. And based on some of his works, perhaps they had reason to think this. They don't have the benefit of 90-plus years hindsight like we do. Hitler united the people, unlike other leaders during the previous Weimar period. He silenced dissenters, started rebuilding Germany's military, and began massive building projects, putting millions of Germans back to work in the middle of a depression, worldwide depression. Yet, in that summer, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was giving lectures in Berlin. He would be removed from his post not long after, uh, but he, he said in one of those lectures, Luther says that everything depends on whether someone is a good person. If the works are good, this does not allow for any conclusion to be drawn about the person. Works can appear to be good and still be the work of the devil. The devil can appear as an angel of light. And we know that was true in Hitler's case. But the who question remains about anyone. The only way we can know someone is if they reveal themselves to us. What they do is one way, but it's incomplete. Only God knows someone totally. And we can only know Jesus' own works for who he is. We, we can only know Jesus' own works for what they are, excuse me, if we know who he is. God reveals who Jesus is in today's gospel. Both God the Father and God the Spirit. Before Jesus preaches a sermon, heals anyone, ga gathers disciples, casts out a demon, or challenges the authorities, he is baptized by John. Something is done to him. And in that moment where Jesus is vulnerable, where he's dipped in the water, something happens. Jesus rises up and receives an epiphany of who he is. God's son, the one whom the Father loves very much. And in Jesus, God the Father finds joy. Presumably, Jesus must have told this experience to his disciples because only Jesus apparently experiences it. Just says, he saw. No one else sees the vision except for us, modern-day disciples of Jesus Christ. We know by spirit-given faith who Jesus is, but most of the gospel's characters do not have that revelation. They don't know who he is. 
He just appears to be an interloper from Galilee, a troublemaker, perhaps. Indeed, the key conflict between Jesus and the authorities hinges on their lack of recognition of who he is. For now in the story, this seems to be a confirmation to Jesus himself of who he is, and a confirmation to us, the hearers. We'll get into more of who Jesus is next week as we take a detour out of Mark into John's gospel. But there's another question here. Who is the spirit that descends upon Jesus at his baptism? Today's reading from Genesis gives us our first glimpse into the spirit. When God begins to create, the spirit is there. It's a little disguised because we use a different English word here. Our translation has a wind from God swept over the waters. The word used for wind is ruach. It's a great word. They, they, uh, they say in uh, sermon class that you're not supposed to translate words for the congregation. But this is a great word. <laughs> ruach. Uh, in fact, you need a, kind of a, a rough R. Ruach. Something like that. You can imagine the spirit just sweeping with that word. The spirit sweeps over the waters. Can also, water in ancient Hebrew cosmology is representative of chaos, of nothingness that is less than nothing. What we see here is God's own spirit. God's own wind sweeping over the waters of chaos, bringing order where there was none before, bringing light where there was only darkness, bringing life from the void. And that's what happens when we are baptized. In our baptism, whether at a font like this one or in all the different ways I described to the kids up here, we descend into chaos, death, and hell. We descend into nothingness, to utter and complete non-existence. The old self, the sinful turned on itself, scheming, lying, covetous old self that we are born with, is mortally wounded in our baptism. And we rise up as new selves to serve God, as Luther says, in righteousness and purity forever. In our baptism, the Spirit testifies not only to who Jesus is as God's beloved Son, but also who we are. We, too, are God's beloved children, even and especially when we don't act like it. Even when the old sinful self reemerges, which we all know it does. Theologian Karl Barth once said that the old Adam seems to be a particularly strong swimmer. But that self is mortally wounded. The spirit brings order out of chaos and life out of death, not just in the creation, but in our individual lives as well. And by extension, in the community of saints, we call the church. There are lots of spirits out there these days, so to speak, trying to tell us who we ought to be or what we should do, making all kinds of false promises along the way. There are other kinds of spirits, the increasing allure of politicians promising identity 
and an enemy to hate. The pull of organizations, including churches, into their own self-enclosed thing, promising purpose and meaning. Diet gurus promising a new self if you just follow their program exactly. Companies promising satisfaction if you just buy their product or service. The list goes on. We do it to ourselves, too. For all too often, you know, many of us are on New Year's resolutions now. And, and self-improvement is a great thing. However, how many times are our New Year's resolutions, do they, how many times do they sound like they were written by someone who doesn't like us? <laughs> Often they're false promises built on self-dislike, disguised as a self-improvement program. However, amid all the, the, the cacophony of voices trying to tell us who we are or what we ought to be, the Spirit tells us who we really are. Just as the Spirit descended upon Jesus and the Father's voice reminded Jesus of who he really is. Because of who the Spirit is, we can trust the Spirit's promises and praise the Spirit's works. The Spirit is God's own creative love at work in us and in our world. Healing, bringing into community, making relationships where there was only brokenness before. We experience the Spirit every time we come to worship. We hear the Word of God that convicts us of our sin and grants us forgiveness. We receive that same Word in the form of bread and wine. We experience the community of saints that the Spirit has brought together. Community of saints like this one. Not perhaps the kind of community we would always prefer, let's be honest, but the kind that the Spirit has gifted us with. We are gifted with this community here. The risen Jesus is here, along with his Father and their Spirit. And in our baptism, we are given a sure and certain identity rooted in Jesus Christ. Because of that, we don't have to listen to those other competing spirits. They all promise salvation, in a sense, if we do say or think the right thing. The Spirit saves us simply based on how God sees us. God has adopted us as God's children, and we are emboldened to live into that identity. Amen.